0: So my name is Keith Jarrett i am business development manager of cloud economics and cost optimization at aws and this is our second installment of our cost optimization learning series building your own cost optimization program so by show of hands how many folks actually joined us on tuesday for our cost optimization at scale presentation Okay a few folks so today is that next step in the journey Right, today is about talking, taking the frameworks and the approaches we talked about on Tuesday and starting to put some meat around it, right? Starting to talk about the journey for how we take these frameworks and approaches and start implementing with, within our environments and creating scalable, repeatable processes, All right. And so what we learned on Tuesday is that the reason why we're here is that these types of opportunities are large, right? When we start doing this well, we start seeing it, pay a lot of dividends internally, right? So we talked on Tuesday about customers showing examples of how they would actually take these best practices, implement them within the organization, and by doing so, save 20 to 80% off their AWS bill, right? So the, the savings potentials are large. And again, we talked about that framework. And that framework really starts with architectural best practices, right? But as we heard Werner talk about this morning is that it's not just enough to think only in terms of architecture we need to support it with operational best practices as well right so we talked a little bit about that and we'll talk a little bit more about that today and at the center of that operational model is a team right It's humans and it's keeping these types of cost optimization recommendations continuing and repeating over time right and so that's why we're here today Right. We're going to hear from Intuit. We're going to hear about their journey over the last year because 12 months ago, they were sitting where you guys are. Right. Intuit joined us for our cost optimization at scale presentation last year, and they walked out saying, you know, I think there's some opportunities for us here in terms of optimizing our environment and becoming a little bit more efficient. So we're going to start to hear that story, and we're going to start bridging that gap between frameworks and implementation, right? going through some of those lessons learned by setting up this type of program, Kind of if we were to go back and redo it, how would we do it, right, and hear some of the wins and some of where they're going from here. All right, so today we'll do a quick recap of some of the basics that we learned on Tuesday, and then we're going to quickly switch gears and hear that story, right, talking about that implementation, how we went and set up metrics and KPIs and set goals for us as an organization, and how we were able to become more effective and more efficient with those resources even at a time that we were ramping up on the platform, right, as Intuit was continuing to migrate more and more workloads to AWS. So let's quickly recap what we learned on Tuesday, right? And the first is, when we start looking at our bill and we look at all those things that are going to be driving our bill and our spend month over month, there are a number of them, right? And there are a number of these drivers that are going to be directly impacting our spend, right? And those are gonna be seemingly, uh, you're not surprising, right? It's like, what are those services that we're picking? What are the instances that we're selecting, right? What pricing models are we using? And how are those things shaping our build time and time again, right? And then we have all these indirect things that are a little bit more organizational, right? Those things that are going to shape how we're using those resources, right? Whether we're setting up internal chargeback or showback models, whether we're coupling our environment with the right types of governance policies, right, and how we start actually creating a culture to support this new of operating. Right? And because there's so many things here right, beyond this slide, right, that's inherently where a lot of the economic opportunity lies with AWS. right? Because whether it's me looking at picking new instances or using auto-scaling more effectively or moving up stack to take advantage of our managed services like RDS, or looking at serverless architecture like Lambda. There are all these things that will help influence our ability to become more effective on the platform, but where your long-term economic benefits are gonna come from is as we continue to innovate and find those waste within our environment and continue to strip out that waste so we can drive our costs down over time. But when we work with a lot of our customers, who are particularly successful with regards to cost optimization, what we see is time and time again, they're pulling the same types of levers, and they're pulling them in a repeatable, scalable way that's not gonna set them up for one-time success, but ongoing success, right? And so if we look at what those five things are, the first is making sure that we're picking the right instances, right? And what that means is when we go about right-sizing, we're going to look at our instances that we've deployed. We're going to look at the utilization of those instances by leveraging CloudWatch. And we're going to ask ourselves, are there opportunities opportunities for us to downsize those instances? The second is making sure that we're driving application elasticity, right? Making sure we're using those resources for when we need them but turning them off when we don't so that we're not spending at always-on rates. It's picking the right pricing model. For our spiky and variable workloads, we need to make sure that we're using spot and on-demand. And for those predictable, always-on workloads, leveraging reserved instances. Fourth, it's making sure we're leveraging and optimizing our storage environment, finding those objects that are running in S3 that are a good candidate to run in S3 in frequent access and in Glacier. And then it's supporting all of these levers in a continuous improvement through measuring and monitoring our environment, And identifying those additional opportunities for us, right? And by doing that, we start to create a scalable, repeatable process, right? And we'll start to see some of these themes emerge through Intuit's story. So enough with me, let's meet the team, right? Dieter and LV are part of Intuit's technology financial team, and the two of them are responsible for really driving their cost optimization program. And before joining Intuit, Jeter was part of Netflix's capacity planning team in response for helping them build out their internal spot market and implementing right-sizing mechanisms and really driving a culture of cost transparency within that organization. LV's been with Intuit for the last 12 years and supporting their business and functional groups from financial and strategic planning perspective and helping them with financial modeling, with business intelligence – and so through the two of them, they have this really complementary skill set, right? Because now we start to speak a common language across our IT and finance teams to really drive strong cross-functional relationships and help stewarding in this type of transformation of cost optimization. So with that, I'm pleased to introduce LV Lee.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Keith. All right. So hi everybody. Um, I'm LV Lee, and um, Dieter and I are happy to be here today to talk to you about our uh, cost optimization program. Um, Before we get started, I just wanna quickly go over um, what we're gonna cover in this session. First, we'll give you an overview of Intuit and our journey to the cloud, and we're gonna share with you our cost optimization journey, what we've done in the last 12 months, what we've learned, and where we started to initially focus our efforts, including reserved instances, Reporting and tools, as well as processes. And then Dieter is going to um, walk you through the next phase of our cost optimization journey, what capabilities and tools we're going to be working on. And also he's going to talk about how we're infusing a cost-conscious mindset into our organization, including um, a chargeback model that we manage with our teams. And at the end, if we... um, have time, we can uh, take questions or we can take them on the side. Um, but I, what I really love to do is hear from you on how you have helped your teams with your cost optimization journey. And if there are any ideas and suggestions that you'd like to share with us, I would love to hear that. Okay, so a little bit about Intuit. Um, Intuit is a um, financial um, management solutions company. We help people manage their financial, uh, personal financial. Um, You know budgets, and we um, help run your small businesses. And we have um, over 8,000 employees worldwide, mainly in the U.S. Our flagship products are QuickBooks, TurboTax, and Mint. And our online products are growing really fast. Our QuickBooks online accounting solutions has over 1.5 million subscribers, growing 40% year over year. And our TurboTax online product. Sold over 20 million units last year, growing 15% year over year. And our online personal finance product, Mint, helps over 6 million users manage their money and their budget and improving their financial lives. And we're recognized by Fortune as one of the best companies to work for for the last 15 years. And we're also the most, uh, Fortune's most admired software company in the world for the last 13 years. Alright, with that I'm gonna now go into a little bit talking about why we uh why Intuit is migrating uh to the cloud, going through the cloud journey, and also uh, why we needed to invest in a cost optimization program. So Intuit has navigated through a change journey where we went from a desktop company to a cloud product and platform company. As we migrate from desktop applications to mobile to online solutions, we have to also shift our platform to the cloud so that we can increase developer speed and agility, which will help them innovate and deploy faster. And it will help us increase our competitive advantage and also help us accelerate towards a true SaaS and cloud company. Um, Going to the cloud will also Help with our elastic workloads that have peaks and valleys, such as our tax business, and also our online personal uh, finance product mint has a high adoption rate after new use resolution. And as we move to the cloud, it'll also help us scale, um, so we can move into global markets, and also we can re-implement active-active, so we can be truly resilient. So why we're going? Why why do we need a op- cost optimization program? Well. As we migrate to the cloud, our footprint and our costs are going to continue to increase. So we need to start um, looking at opportunities to reduce our costs by putting the right programs in place. And we found that the best SaaS companies, the best-in-class SaaS companies, do have these programs. So we needed to start looking at what Intuit needs to do to start building up these capabilities and also discovering what we need to do um, to implement within our organization. So Intuit's uh, cloud journey started a few years ago. Uh, We transformed from having more than 32 data centers through acquisitions to consolidating into two primary data centers, and now we're moving into the cloud. Um, We're refactoring and migrating our offerings, and services from monolithic applications to microservices that we can um, put into the cloud-enabled platforms. And by moving to the cloud, we go from having to wait behind a long and manual deployment uh, process to one that has continuous uh, integration and deployment. And as we migrate to the clouds, we said, you know, our footprint and our costs are gonna continue to increase significantly over the next few years. So our strategy is to focus on three key levers that we can implement within our organization. The first one is reserved instance. And our eyes are prepaying for capacity for one or three years for your always-on resources. And by committing to this capacity, we can save up to 60% over on-demand pricing. And the second one is elasticity. One of the advantages of a cloud model is that you pay as you go. And so by leveraging um, this for our elastic workloads, we could turn off or reduce our usages for our non-production or non-peak workloads. And then the last one is right-sizing. And as we start to understand our usage better for our workloads, we can select the most appropriate instances that meet our performance and capacity requirements so that we don't have to use more than what we need. So initially, um, we are focusing on reserved instances because we felt this was a lever that we can implement fairly fast and it will give us the most impact on our cost. So then we started to venture into our cost optimization journey last fall, and uh, what we first did was we actually uh, approached our AWS account team and, um, and get their advice and expertise on you know what we need to do to get started, and, um, and also by letting them know that we're starting on this journey, um, they will be there to help support um, what we're doing. But then we went out and we spoke with other SaaS companies who have established programs um, in place and running their cost optimization program at scale, and we wanted to learn from them to understand you know, what they have done and, uh, and how they were successful and, and uh, how we uh, should get started. So uh, a few themes and um, uh, messages kind of c- uh, came through these uh, conversations that we had with them. The first one was that they all leverage reserved instances so that they can cover their always on resources, and save up to sixty or sometimes seventy percent um, on their um, over their on demand pricing the other thing that they do um, is that they have really robust reporting capabilities and tools so it will allow them to get the proper insights into their usage and their wastage so that they can make the right decisions around what to optimize and where to execute. Some of these companies they use um, in-house tooling to get the insights, and sometimes they use a combination of in-house tools as well as external tools um, to get visibility into their data. These companies have also established processes and rigor around reviewing, analyzing, and taking action against the insights and the data that they have. And all of them that we we spoke with, um, they evaluate their RI purchases and modification needs on a regular basis. Some of them do it on a monthly basis. Um, some of them do it more frequently on a bi monthly basis. Um, and the last is that um, these companies, they all have a central team. Sometimes it's cross functional to be dedicated on the cost optimization efforts. And these teams are not only to execute and, and drive the process ag- across the organization but um, they're also actively managing the program so that um, they can also drive policies, governance, and operational best practices across the company. So armed with that, we went back to our teams and, um, and we really started to work on our um, you know, cost optimization um, work that we needed to do. So when we first started, we went out and bought a small amount of RIs so that uh, you know, we're running this experiment and really trying to understand um, how to execute one, um, how to execute an RI, um, and understand the operational complexities of um, running the program, and also trying to discover what we needed to build uh, in terms of capabilities to really run a full-fledged program. And we weren't really Afraid to start small and go in and start buying some RIs because we knew we had a lot of opportunities and we had a lot of low-hanging fruits. So we we learned a lot in the last 12 months, and um, I want to share some of those learnings with you and you know where we um, you know have pivoted um, during during this process. So the first one is we realized that initially when we first started the program, having the right visibility into your data was really important. So, uh, we went out and built some of the reporting capabilities that we needed so we can get visibility into usage and perform the proper analysis so then we can understand like where we needed to, um, buy, uh, RIs and where our opportunities were. And, um, and then once we went in and purchased the RIs, we need reporting and metrics to understand whether we were Um, successful in what we purchased we needed to see the results and be able to report out on them so establishing the reporting upfront is really important we also realized that we needed to better understand um, right to launch or insufficient capacity errors or ice data better so that uh, we can understand whether that was impacting our developers ability to spin up new workloads at AWS So even though our cloud, uh, we're in the cloud, it doesn't mean that our capacity is infinite. So um, we went out and built some reporting really quickly. Uh, We did it quickly, but it was really hard. Um, But we went out and uh, put some reporting together, build a reporting, and then we quickly try to automate that reporting so that we can see this data more frequently on a daily basis so that uh, we have better insight into um, these insufficient capacity errors that our developers were experiencing. And the reason why we needed to understand that and why that was important to us is because some companies, they purchase RIs for their cost benefit um, so that they can save more than 60% uh, over three years. And, um, but RIs also provides a capacity guarantee. Um, so, what, so when we realized that after looking at the data that we had, after we filled up the reporting, um, we found out that we were impacted by ice sometimes. So then it was important for us to leverage these RIs for also um, our capacity. So what we did was we used these RIs and placed them in our strategic account so that we can cover them um, for, um, for these ins- insufficient capacity events. And as we finished our first experiment in purchasing an RI and um, started building up some basic reporting capabilities, we were ready to scale up our RI program. And so once we started to do that, we realized that uh, we had a lot of fragmented usage. And what that means is that we had usages that uh, were in different regions, across different instance types that were old and new, different operating systems and um, tenancy. And so when you have usages that are spread so thin, it's really hard to optimize and, um, and it makes optimization really challenging. So what we did was we started uh, to build a cleanup plan, put together a cleanup plan to consolidate the usages so that we can um, maximize our savings with our eyes and also it will help us reduce the complexity in managing Um, the RI program uh, with less disparate types of usage characteristics. And as we scale up the program, what we also realized was that automation is really important. When we first started doing this, um, our cycle was really long, our purchasing cycle was really long. Um, We went, it took us more than two weeks to do the analysis, come up with a recommendation, execute the purchase, and then getting the data back into our system and then understanding the result of our purchase, so that whole cycle was just too long it was very inefficient and um, and uh, you know we needed to move faster so what we did was we um, started to automate some of the uh, processes and um, and improve some of our um, um, the reporting and so we were shrinking that process down so that we can Get faster insights and, and better um, faster analytics and review time And when we made the purchasing it was more accurate so that it reduces um, You know the the cycle time and the churn to fix uh, perhaps like the human errors that you know might happen when you when you put in the orders and we're getting faster insights so that we can react to Things that if it if it didn't turn out right, we can go back and and fix it more, um, you know, faster. So that was really important for us to scale to um, put uh, automation in place. And then the last thing is that for our team to be successful, we had to bring our organization along on our journey, um, to talk to them about um, our. Uh, mission, what we're trying to accomplish so that they can take that back to their team and evangelize our, um, our mission and our program with them so, so that they can, um, really embrace our strategy and we can partner better together to make this a successful program and also that they can go back and implement our, um, policies and our best practices, um, across the organization. So now let's talk a little bit about um, process and uh, operating mechanisms so when we first got the program started um, we um, we started to um, put together um, tracking capabilities and and uh, and operating me- mechanisms to report out to our leadership team and it was um, and initially we uh, we established monthly meetings, and now quarterly with our CTO and CFO, to give them visibility on the program that uh, we've established, and also report out on the progress and the successes that we have, as well as any concerns that may have come up. Um, you know uh, that you know we needed to help with, so they can really help us. Um, you know, push uh, to get things uh, done for our program. And so in those meetings that we have with them, we have three key metrics that we review, which is in the dashboard that you see on the lower right-hand um, corner there. And so the first metric is RI coverage. And what that is is um, how much of your usage is covered by reserved instances so that you're paying a lower rate um, for your usage than your on-demand pricing. And the, um, the top left graph that you see there on our dashboard, that represents RI coverage in the orange bars. Um, how much of that is covering our total usage for the company, so that's the one on the left. And the one on the right is showing our RI coverage for our standard usage, and our standard usage represents our preferred um, usage in the instance types that, uh, that, that we prefer and in the regions that we prefer and so on. And our goal there is to have RI coverage of 90% or higher for, our, um, for the standard usage so that um, we're covering for all of the usages that, um, that you know have the usage characteristics that we desire. And then the second is um, RI waste. And so with uh, this metric, which is represented in the bottom um, left-hand corner of the dashboard, so with our eyes, when we make the purchase, it's very specific in terms of what what region you're gonna buy them at, what instance type, what uh, operating system, and what tenancy. And so when our usage changes, our usage pattern changes, we need to go and modify those RIs so that they can continue to stay highly utilized. If we didn't do anything about them, they would be unused. Right? So for example, if we purchase M3 medium RIs and um, our, we find out that our, our businesses are shifting to M3 larges, then we need to go in and modify those M3 medium RIs so that we can continue to um, utilize these RIs because otherwise they're gonna be sitting around and they're not going to be used, and we're not going to realize the savings that we're going to expect um, if they're just going to be wasted. So our goal there is to keep waste to the minimum and um, and below our 10% um, 10% range. And the last is our is our savings. So we keep track of the total savings from this program, so we can report back to our teams um, and. And give visibility to our organization on what we've achieved with this program. The reason why this is important is because we want to have their continued partnership with us to improve the program. So we needed to let them know how successful or not successful you know, we, uh, we were. And also with the savings that we have, we, um, the teams will reinvest these dollars back into the company's um, engineering and product teams. So this graph here shows that uh, our, our usage before the central RI strategy was put in place. So you can see here that the gray area represents our usage that are paying on demand uh, pricing for. And the bottom orange area shows our usage that were covered by RIS. So since this is before the central program was put in place, um, you know, we, we had fragmented usage, like we're talking about, um, you know, different regions and instance types. And um, and also our, uh, you know, we had a lot of different accounts, over, um, you know, 1,000 accounts that, that were being managed. And also, some of our business units were going out and buying some ad-hoc reserved instances, so that's why you see the, the orange area that, you know, we did have a little bit of reserved instances. It wasn't a lot, but then best practices what shared across teams at that time. So after we put the central program in place, um, and we started to clean up our usage, and we have the tools and capabilities to um, scale up the program, we saw that our coverage went up pretty significantly after that. And in the last twelve months uh, since we have started um, doing this, our usage has continued to gone up, but because we have these RIs in place, the cost per usage hour has declined um, during that time. So, in summary, I just wanted to tell you that in the last 12 months, we've done a lot and we've made a lot of progress, and we didn't, a year ago, we didn't have any RI programs. Now we have one that we actively manage, and uh, we have RI coverage, of about 80% right now for our standard usage and where our goal is to get to that 90% or higher. We went from having a really scrappy RI purchasing process of two weeks or longer, now through process improvements and automation, we've cut that down by more than half, but we still have more work to do, so with more automation that we're gonna be doing, we're gonna try to get that down to one day. Um, and a year ago, we had a lot of fragmented usage and um, a lot of different accounts, and we're trying to clean that up now and consolidate um, uh, these uh, usages so that we can be more effective with our RI program and really help us scale up our RIs. And a year ago, we also, uh, our team wasn't really involved in the AWS operations. Right now, we're very involved in the AWS operations. Um, you know, we are uh, crossing boundaries to um, really help uh, drive the strategy and the roadmap for cost optimization. And we're also establishing policies and uh, governance and best practices to help run AWS more effectively. And um, so, you know, we felt like in the last 12 months, um, You know, we we have done a lot and and we've really caught up because last year at this time when I was sitting here, um, really felt like uh, we were lagging behind our peers. But uh, we've done a lot of work and we felt like we've we've caught up but we definitely still have a lot more work to do ahead of us. So now I'm gonna turn over to Dieter who's gonna talk about the next phase of our cost optimization program and what capabilities we're working on next.
2: Thanks. Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us. My name is Dieter Mason. Um, I'm a business systems analyst in Intuit's finance team. And today I'm going to talk to you guys about the uh, next things that are going to be on our roadmap. So our initial focus is going to be, of course, on the detailed billing report or the new version, the cost and utilization report. That will be your foundation um, the way I see that is um, like those Legos in the top right corner that you need to build your reporting your services uh, with a foundational layer um, and then build higher level services on top of these so as you um, automate the detailed billing report it will provide you with cost information um, you move forward with uh, looking into RI modifications making them faster reducing the time of the manual uh, effort that is required to do those to the point where you can actually automate those RI modifications. Um, Currently, we are looking at uh, CloudHealth as uh, one of the uh, venues to do so. Next step will be to take a look at the RI purchase recommendations. Initially, they will be done by a person, and it will take some time. Uh, You will go back and forth and analyze um, what you can be doing. Eventually, you want to do those automatically. And, again, we are looking at uh, Cloud Health as uh, one of the venues to do so. One of the next steps that you need to do before you can go into right-sizing is you need to know what your utilization is on the instances. You need to look at your CPU utilization. You need to look at your RAM utilization, disk, network, uh, other metrics as well like packets per second, uh, uh, IOPS on your disks, and so forth. And you need to build an automated right-sizing service um, on top of that because you can't have people sitting there, hands on keyboard, typing for right-sizing purposes. You want to be as quickly as, and automated as possible. Next one will be code tracing. Code tracing is the ability to look into the function calls that your code is uh, executing. There are several facilities out there that are open source and are really good. And they will give you a signature, and you can compare the signature of the function calls with a previous version. So when you have a new version of the code, you can take a look at that and see, okay, am I doing more database calls? Am I doing more disk I.O.? Why is there latency on the network? And that will help you to do uh, blue-green testing and do automated uh, analysis of uh, blue-green tests and say, okay, my new version of the code has the signature. It's a little bit different than the previous one, and translate that into a cost as well. Next will be performance monitoring, and this is on a systems level. So we are looking at things like um, why is your JVM, your Java Virtual Machine, garbage collect taking two minutes? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Can you tune this? Eventually you want to be in a position where you do automated squeeze testing. Automated squeeze testing is when you take the new version of the code, put it on a single instance, take a fractional uh, portion of the production traffic, run it through that canary, and see how that canary behaves. What are these systems performance metrics that you can gather from your new code version? How is it different from your previous code version? It will also allow you to go and overload that single instance to basically put traffic into it until the instance stops responding. This is where you see where your limits are. And, of course, a lot of those things, you will also need the help of the business units, their support. So they will be always involved in those efforts. So next I'm going to look at the... AWS-recommended areas for uh, cost efficiency, and they are reserved uh, instances, measuring, monitoring, and improving, right-sizing, and increasing elasticity. Each one of those areas, we are going to explore what are the individual steps that we are performing. And, of course, some of those areas you will need the help of the BU's as well. So first, let's get started with um, what are our next steps when it comes to RIs. Well, we need to further reduce the time that it it takes to do the modifications. We're going to look at uh, CloudHealth, as I mentioned, as as an external tool to possibly automate that. Uh, CloudHealth has also the ability to do so almost on an hourly basis, depending on how quickly you can pump the data through your system. So, if you have a workload in the evening that is batch related that needs rather large instances, and in the morning you have a workload that needs rather small instances like web servers, the system can adapt the reserved instances between those times and move them over. We will also of course execute, continue to execute on our cleanup plans. Um, we intend to tackle the RI fragmentation that Elvin mentioned. Um, which means that the RIs shouldn't spread across regions, shouldn't spread across instance families uh, in different sizes. The more you can group that, the less fragmentation you will have, and services can then take advantage of each other's RIs and help each other out. And as Elvi mentioned as well, you will need to build an RI database. So every purchase needs to be logged so that you can quantify your savings at any point in time later on. So next is measuring, monitoring, and improving. Our goal is, of course, to provide self-service reports to everyone at Intuit, all the business units. And specifically, we are going to look at the billing data to grant visibility into cost. That is your foundation. Remember, on that Legos, it was that DBR in the lower left corner. Next, we are going to look at insufficient capacity errors, or the ICE errors, um, so that developers have visibility into what is in demand currently on the AWS site. And they can change their workloads accordingly, their experiments accordingly. And also we are going to look into our eye utilization. So we need to see which RIs at any given point of time during the day are being utilized. So that developers can see for new projects and for existing workloads, how can I best take advantage of those RIs? And of course, if you have unutilized RIs, they already paid for, developers can launch workloads there and at at no additional cost for experimentation, for example. Over time, this will also allow us to track behavior of BUs and how that behavior changes. You will see emerging trends The use may look at certain instance types for certain workloads. Like, for example, we currently have M3 mediums that are very popular. Um, You will also need to take that automation a step further. Um, And not do daily feeds. That is nice. That is a good start. But you want near real-time or real-time data feeds. So one of the first candidates for that will be the insufficient capacity exceptions the ice reports we are looking at CloudTrail and CloudWatch watch um, to automate that and have a real uh, near real-time visibility into these next is right sizing so right sizing is where you match your workloads with the instance types the instance type and the size the family Um, Here you will need some kind of facility that allows you to collect CPU, RAM, disk, network, and maybe some other metrics you will learn uh, on your journey, like packets per second, may become important. You will need some kind of facility to uh, to be baked into every AMI. We are currently looking at CollectD. CollectD is open source, so that's a good thing. Ultimately, you want this automated as well. And again, we are looking at cloud health. However, it needs the metrics to be able to make decisions, to be able to algorithmically make decisions in an automated fashion. So you first need those metrics in your AMIs, in your Amazon machine images. Additionally, when you look at your cost and you look at your bill and you tally everything up, by positions, probably EC2 will be your top position when you just sort it with the highest on top. Eventually, you will go the second largest one, the third largest one, and for us, this is going to be RDS, S3, EBS, and Snapshots. Generally, we are going to look into enabling automated cleanup and lifecycle management. Uh, Capital One has Cloud Custodian, as an open source, I believe. And it's a very promising package, so very excited about trying that out. Last, not least, we are going to look at increasing elasticity. Elasticity is when you turn stuff off when you don't need it. That's a good thing. When you think of your office, the chairs, the desks, they are there whether people are using them or not. In the cloud, you don't need to do that. You can turn it off and you don't have to pay for it. So there will be some fairly low-hanging fruit. We are currently looking at the dev and test environments, turning those off. Um, And there will be a lot of savings just uh, having it off during business hours. Also, we are exploring auto-scaling as a mechanism for uh, very large workloads, for our big offerings, when they are not at peak, to scale them down and then use that capacity for something else. So you will need... Some other workloads that can take advantage of that unused capacity. All right. And Elvi already promised we are going to talk to you guys about how are we infusing a cost conscious and active management culture. The way we do that is we engage with the BUs on a regular basis. The BUs that have frequent life to cloud efforts. We engage with them every month. used that have infrequent efforts, maybe once a quarter. During those regular cadence engagements, we give them an overview of what their past history is. We look again at cost, at ICE events. Did you know you had ICE events? We look at the RI utilization. You had a project that was in flight that wanted to consume those RIs. They are not used currently. I had to repurpose them. Stuff like that. So we provide visibility into the past, and we also provide um, a roadmap into the future. We share our roadmap from, from the finance, from the cost optimization program, and we also ask the BU's to share their roadmap. So the idea is that you sync those two up and, and match each other up. Next, I want to talk to you guys about the... How are we doing chargebacks? Um, Chargebacks are being done as a blended rate uh, rate approach. So when you look at the RIS that each BU is using, of course you know what that usage was and you can bill them for that. That's pretty straightforward. How about the RIS that were not used? Which BU should pay for those? Well, what you do is you, you take them and you blend them according to the BU's existing usage It's pretty straightforward. It's an an open process and very transparent. Anyone that has questions, we are happy to explain that process to them, happy to explain how the numbers happened. And that transparency transparency instills trust. People come to us. They trust us. They want to ask for our advice. They want to know next steps. They run scenarios um, past us and (coughs) ask us, would you go with scenario A would you, or would you go with scenario B? Also, um, another reason for uh, us doing chargebacks is we want to make sure that the BU's financials are correct, obviously. So we charge the BU's for what they consumed, so they are accountable for their usage, and this incends their right behavior on their side. The other reason, of course, is for financial reasons. We need to be correct. Almost done. All right. What we are trying to say is go out there and start small. Invest in reporting because you will need data to make decisions. You need to have metrics, process, a good chargeback mechanism to provide provide visibility into management and to understand where you need to improve next. Cost optimization is an ongoing effort. You will need to actively manage it and continuously improve. All right, this is all from our side. Um, maybe we start the question and answer section. Um, do you guys have any questions and comments? Please come to the microphone. Yes, hi. Um, as I began looking into uh, reducing costs, given our preference for full upfront RI pricing, uh, purchasing, auto scaling suddenly didn't make a lot of sense. It's back to the old leave it running in your data center mindset. What are your thoughts around that? Okay, that is a very good question, and I had this problem before. Um, autoscaling, when you have to provision the RIs at peak, it's not very useful because what are you going to do with the with the ca- unused capacity during off-peak time? What you need to do here is you need to find consumers within your BUs, within your company that can utilize potentially that unused capacity. At my previous engagement, we had batch processes that that could run at any time of the day. So they didn't need to run at peak time. So the advantage of that was that we could push them out of the peak and as soon as the RIs became underutilized, we had a real-time monitor for that and they could see, oh, okay, now we can start those workloads and start ramping them up. Depending on your business, you may have during the nighttime a fairly large amount of unused RIs if you're auto-scaling and I highly recommend you do because trust me, you will find maybe deep learning workloads or other workloads that people were not even conceiving before or thinking about before. So that's in the nutshell. You know, you'll need to a real-time system that shows, hey, this is what is paid for but currently not used, and you will find people that will want to use that. Any more questions?
0: On an, on an earlier slide, you said um, you wanted CPU, network, and disk and you were going with CollectD, doesn't CloudWatch already collect all that data?
2: Uh, you still need the uh, uh, CollectD agent baked into the AMI. By, do you need some kind of agent that will go and collect that information for you?
0: Um, if I just spin up any AMI, don't I, and I go to metrics, it's just there. I don't, I don't think I need CollectD. I think uh, AWS already provides those metrics,
2: and I can view them and chart them. And I, Not for us. (laughs) I don't see them in Cloud Health. Cloud Health will have two metrics, which is CPU and um, network or disk, I'm not sure. But it doesn't give you RAM. And most of your workloads will be RAM-based.
0: But, yeah, so just to kind of build on that point, so CloudWatch out of the box will give us CPU storage and network utilization, so we can start building that parameter. But uh, because we don't have visibility in the OS layer, we we can't provide RAM utilization out of the box. So that's where you can set up a custom CloudWatch metric particularly for those yeah. RAM-constrained workloads and get a little bit better picture on what your instance selection should be. So I'll, I'll echo Thank that. You. We have to do custom metrics for the, for the RAM as well. But right. my question is about uh, chargeback. So for um, how do you handle central services? So particular um, shared services between multiple products and aligning that for chargeback? LV?
1: Yeah. <laughs> sure, I can answer that question. So, um, so our chargeback model, um, you know, we... We keep it simple in the sense that um, if they are the charges are directly related to the business and we can measure that, then we would charge that back um, but if we don 't have a way to um, collect or measure how um, you know, how uh, the business units are utilizing that service, then we, we don 't charge it back so it, it depends on uh, you know how well we can measure it and how large the cost is um, we would the shared services. Yeah. yeah, we do have, uh, you talk about AWS shared services or other it's shared, shared services. Or... Uh, yeah, so we, we do have some portion of, um, um, of our shared services that we keep centrally. Yes, we do. So, but again, if we can directly, um, measure and allocate back, we will.
2: A uh, couple of questions. The first one is AWS keeps dropping prices. Uh, so uh, any thoughts on uh, buying a one-year RI or three-year RI? That's one. <laughs> and the second one is uh, uh, how to right-size the disks or EBS, those kind of things. Any thoughts on that one?
0: I'll take the first I
1: will take question. the second one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, on the first one is, yes, uh, AWS does lower their on-demand pricing every year, um, but we do get such a large um, percentage of savings from three-year RRIs. So you can either buy one year or three years. Um, so we uh, tend to lean more towards the three years because it gives you the most amount of savings. And the ROI, if they're fully utilized for three years, um, uh, well, actually, if they're fully utilized our ROI, um, we can recover that uh, in about a year and a half. Yeah. So we feel like um, even if the price keeps dropping over the three years, we're still come out very favorable with those ROIs.
2: Okay. The second question was about, around uh, right-sizing specifically. Yeah, right-sizing EBS, uh, like uh, right-sizing the IOPs, those kind of things. Any thoughts that, uh, that you guys did? So That that is, of course, a difficult question, right? Because you are saying um, I have a dynamically sizable amount of storage, for example. What would be a good size? I differentiate between a starting size. You don't know what it will be. You don't have any history of that service. So that is the phase where you still need to explore. And once you have history, I typically take the 95th percentile. So you need to look at the maximum of, of all time, but you want to remove outliers. Maybe there was a runaway service. You can use that principle with almost everything. With disk, you need to be a little bit careful because some databases, when they run out of disk, they just stop and don't tell you much about that um but 95th percentile is the, basically the, you need to take the peak right because you can't be less the same with ram the same with, with almost everything unless you can burst it like cpu you can burst a little bit um but the unburstable workloads you just need to take the maximum but remove outliers. If there was like something weird, like the installation, there was an image, an ISO on that desk that didn't belong there, right? Get rid of that, uh, those data points, and then 95%, uh, 95 percent, percentile will be what you were targeting. Please. Last one. This is probably for LV. Um <laughs> This is so you showed us roughly two and a half years of RI data on that thir- first graph, mm-hmm. um, and I guess and you mentioned that you also had
0: about a thousand accounts that you were managing. Mm-hmm. My question is, um, how did you? How how big is the team that you ended up developing to to provide that central service, mm-hmm. and then
2: how do you go about policing and managing? Um, the, the accounts
0: and making sure that people are adherent to what it is you're doing? Where oh. do you get the teeth that you use to leverage and make people do what they're doing? You know, yeah. Need to
1: do? So our team, um, so cross-functionally, we're a team of about five. right? So there's Dieter and I in finance, and then we have a, a couple of folks from our reporting and, and operations team. Soft engineering. What's that?
2: Uh, IT. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. So... Um, So the way that, uh, you know, so what we've established, so we do have reporting that can tell us uh, which accounts and which workload is uh, operating outside of the parameters that we prefer, right? And so we follow up with, um, you know, obviously the the highest offenders, so so we have reporting, and during the BU meetings or maybe on an ad hoc basis, we reach out to them and uh, talk about, those um, accounts that are outside uh, of the usage um, characteristics that we want, and so um, so we're building capabilities right now to uh, track that and also having a feedback loop so that we can follow up and make sure that because there are some instances where there might be valid business reasons why they're um, going out to those uh, you know uh, usage areas so Um, so we gotta understand that first before we just say, hey, you know, you gotta move and we don't approve that. But, um, but we want to understand the business reason and it is a lot of work to go out there, but we prioritize based on, um, you know, the highest, uh, workload and, um, you know, the, the groups that have the highest number. Of um, accounts that are outside of these parameters, so we focus on those first, and then we work down on our list. But it is a lot, and you know, it does take some time to do that. But we're building automation and reporting to help us uh, keep track of that.
2: Okay. And as a follow-on, are you a standalone function, or, or is it a track within a cloud program and into a cloud program, or is it a standalone function that you guys have?
1: Um, we are
2: the cloud program. Yeah. <laughs> That's <the state>.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks.
2: Thank you, everyone. Do you want to close it? No. Very hard. Thanks.